0: 411 Live. Where you
1: can learn about issues that affect us every day. Stay the world. 411 Live. Real people, real talk. Made to help people in our community in every way. For your girl. 411
0: Live. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender youth and young adults are particularly vulnerable for sex trafficking. In some studies, it says that it's even more so than their heterosexual counterparts. And we're going to be talking about that today. Hello, I'm Beverly Taylor, and this is the 411 Live. Real people, real talk. Now, our mission is to bring awareness to human trafficking, specifically sex trafficking, and also the healing process that goes on from the trauma of sex trafficking. Joining me now is Sandra Zapata. She is Counseling and Advocacy Coordinator with Milwaukee LGBT Community Center. And our topic for the day is how sex trafficking affects the LGBTQ community. Welcome to you, Sandra. Absolutely. So when we talk about this, because we, um, I mean, we're in our second season. We have done so many topics dealing with sex trafficking, but not specifically about this. I'm wondering, do you think that in the discussion about sex trafficking, the uh, LBT, LGBTQ, and I'll I'll mess that up several times throughout, so be patient with me. Do you think that that community is
1: kind of left out of the discussion? Yes, I think we don't necessarily have that conversation Mm -hmm. often, Um, oftentimes sex trafficking focuses on women or young girls which we understand that that is definitely um, a targeted um, demographic however we also know that especially LGBTQ youth is particularly vulnerable because they experience high levels of homelessness they experience high levels of bullying not just outside the home, but inside the home as well. Mm -hmm. So we know that our youth is particularly vulnerable, but we don't necessarily focus on our demographic Mm -hmm. when we are talking about sex trafficking in general.
0: Yeah, let's talk about this whole thing about homelessness because that seems to be, I don't know if you want to call it a symptom, but one of the reasons that they are extremely vulnerable because when you're homeless, you know you're trying to survive. Correct. So how does, t- t- tell me a little bit about that
1: dynamic. So we know that, and, and there's different statistics out there, anywhere mm-hmm. from 60 to 56% of homeless uh, folks happen to be part of the LGBTQ community. Whether that is because their families have decided to kick them out of the house or they have decided to leave the house because it's a toxic environment for Mm -hmm. them. Um, LGBTQ folks are not going to choose homelessness if they have the support at home. So it largely stems from not having a supportive home environment that will leave them open to ending up either in foster care or just being homeless because they're being kicked out or because they've decided to leave home and when you're you're out on the street right um and a lot of them are
0: are young right i mean you have to survive so you need a place to stay right you need some food yes you need clothes on your back right so that puts you in that that position whereas say a, a trafficker right they see you they see your need they see your vulnerability and they can say hey i
1: can help you Right. Uh, a lot of um, the youth that happens to end up homeless and they happen to be LGBTQ, they will be more vulnerable to traffickers because not only do they need those things for survival, but also the likelihood of these um, youth not having a support system to mm-hmm. begin with is high, right? So if you've already been kicked out of home and you don't have family members to look after you or come looking for you or uh, offer a safe space, then you're going to try to find the the next thing, right? The, The next person that is willing to help you out, to give you a meal, to give you a place to sleep, Yeah. right? And sometimes that comes with a price and that price can be sex.
0: right. Right.
1: And, you know, part of
0: um, sex trafficking, it's that whole um, deception right. is part of it. Force is part of it. Um, it's dangling that thing in front of somebody's face and saying, you know, I got you. Here's food.
1: Here's shelter. And then later on, it's mm-hmm. you owe me. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and they already don't have anyone to turn to, right? They, they don't have a family to go back to. Uh, necessarily, or because the services are not necessarily prepared to mm-hmm. work with LGBTQ folks, then who do they turn to? Right? If if in shelter they're not going to feel safe, uh, especially for trans individuals. Um, sometimes shelters are not equipped to work with trans folks, and they get misgendered, or they will be put in the wrong. Um, Sleeping space, mm-hmm. which would in turn make them more vulnerable, right? If if we're trying to help people find a way out of homelessness, but we're misgendering them or we're constantly questioning who they are versus supporting um, their supporting them as who they are, right. then it's going to make it harder, right? I, I don't want to go to a place where I'm going to be questioned on who I am. Like, I've already had to do that work myself. I've had to come out. I've had to tell family and friends, and maybe that's what made me uh, end up homeless in the first place. And then the people who would be able to help fall in that same category if they don't understand me, and they are not ready to help me because they don't know how to help me, or they're not willing to learn which also happens.
0: So there's an awareness gap there. Absolutely. So I also read that um, transgender individuals are even more susceptible to sex trafficking. Why
1: is that? So there's a misunderstanding that general public has um, decided on that being transgender may not necessarily be accurate, I guess, Mm -hmm. people think like, oh, you're just looking for attention or you don't really know what that means or it's a disorder. It really isn't. This is just the way that people feel, right? When I close my eyes and I think about who I am as a person, I can see myself in my gender. That's it. This is just who they are. And for people to question that, um, it just feels like you're asking someone to or I guess you're questioning who they are as people. Um, And it, it, it creates this rejection in society. People don't understand what transgender means. They don't know how to better work with people who are trans. They don't understand it. They don't want to necessarily learn because they want to just make it seem as like you're just looking for attention and this is not really who you are. Even though in different communities we know that there are more than two genders, right? And in our society, we have decided that male and female is the only genders that we, quote, unquote, recognize. Mm -hmm. But in in other cultures, in other times, we have seen people who identify with more than two genders, right? We have in communities, like in Mexico, we have in Oaxaca, um, the term mushe, which means, um, it comes from the word Uh, For women, Uh but it's these folks who were assigned male at birth, but they are women, right? And so you can be male, you can be female, you can be mushe, which means uh, almost like a combination of the two. And they can present in whichever way they want, right? Okay. So in different cultures, we have different understandings of gender. You can have up to five genders or more. Depending on where you live, what time in the continuum. (laughs) Really? Space, yes. So, this idea of binaries and having only male and female is relatively new. I think a lot of indigenous folks have different terms, right? We have um, terms like two spirit for indigenous folks, where you understand that your physical body, your spirit, can be a combination of male and female or it can be a combination of different genders in the same person. So this very strict understanding of male and female is very exclusive to this uh, time and place and to our community. Okay. So it's not everywhere. So I would suspect
0: for transgender, you know, the vulnerability, I could see it heightened because people are don't know exactly, they're not aware and may pull away. Right. But a trafficker is pulling, is coming
1: forward saying, I accept you. Right. Gotcha. And I think um, also part of it is that in our society, we have decided that people who fall in this um, category who uh, are trans, um, they have a very specific role, I guess, in society. So oftentimes, um, we we don't accept uh, trans folks in, in a lot of jobs. So historically, they have been uh, turning to uh, sex work uh, for livelihood, right? And it's not necessarily that they are not capable, but that's kind of how society has pushed folks right to the side to make these uh, decisions because this is the only work they're able to find. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that with education and in conversations, we're changing that perspective and that people understand that trans folks exist and they are not different from anybody else, right? And, and they can do really <laughs> jobs. And, and I think, we have this weird understanding of like, oh, well, we have all, we have female jobs and we have male yeah. jobs. Mm-hmm. And we have gender things that make no sense. Um, we have very strict rules about who gets to stay home and who gets to earn more money in a household and how you should present. Um, and we have so many rules about how people should be or should be doing Life, Um, so I think the community itself doesn't, won't necessarily fall into those patterns. Not as open, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's going to look different for a lot of folks. Um, Just how do you, how you go about, um, you know, earning. Uh, a career or or just doing life itself, right? Because I I feel like we have these very specific um, timetables, right? Like you go to college and then you get a job and then you get married and you have kids. Well, if you're a part of the LGBTQ community, there are no rules to follow.
0: Gotcha. Okay. I understand what you're saying.
1: it's hard, right? Like it's hard to make up a timeline
0: okay now you work with the um, milwaukee lgbtq community center yes you have seen a lot of things so we're going to take a break when we come back we're going to talk about some of those things and resources what you know what's out there housing things that are needed within our Mm -hmm. community sure so we're going to take a break we'll be right back stay with us
1: the 411 live your link to information and now here's your food for thought
0: When he said I could have everything I've ever wanted, I didn't expect it to slip through my fingers in a split second. I started out as a
1: girl living a life of happiness with someone I believed I could trust. Then he twisted what I saw into a world of darkness. He took away my innocence, broke me down until
0: I was no longer a human being, sent me into the streets to find date after date, bed after bed so I could earn the cold hard cash he couldn't wait to spend. People think I'm a lost cause. Someone just looking for a good time. When in reality, I'm being trafficked and they don't know the signs. This is only one example of sex trafficking. Maybe other victims can escape if everyone learns the signs before it's too late. For more information, visit the411live.org.
1: Honey, if you look at that phone one more time over dinner, you won't finish your meal. Perfect, it was nasty anyway. What do you think of 41% of all Americans between 13 and 17 years old using Snapchat? Not worried? What if I told you Snapchat is the perfect platform for sex trafficking? He wants my body over Snapchat. What should I do? It's not like the picture is forever.
0: They self-destruct. If you want to do it, I don't see why not. Does it make me look bad though?
1: He's offering you $100 for a picture. Easy money, girl. Snapchat made the 2016 Dirty Dozen list because of Snapcash and how it encourages sexual exploitation. Your children could be exploited on Snapchat and sex traffickers are monitoring. Are you?
0: For more information, visit the411live.org. Welcome back to The 411 Live. I'm Beverly Taylor. We are continuing our discussion on how sex trafficking affects the LGBTQ community. Joining me again, Sandra Zapata, and you work with, of course, the. Milwaukee LGBT Community Center. How do you get your clients?
1: So there's different ways uh, that we do outreach. We go to community events. Mm. Um, We've been expanding community services, I guess, um, trying to make it more inclusive. Uh, Sometimes what happens in queer spaces is that they tend to be very white, and people who are in leadership uh, tend to be white and so sometimes within the community we forget about those intersections of you know being queer but also being a person of color Mm -hmm. uh, or being you know different country right so immigration and those things that that happen really to anyone (laughs) in in our community so we've been trying to do more outreach out in the community in communities of color um we really will go to any event that we're invited to that we can see a way of reaching different people. So we've been doing a lot of community marketplaces and just different places where other communities unite. Um, so, so we're trying to expand our, our, our outreach uh, out in the community through community partnerships. So we'll do more culture-specific programming Uh, So we are doing, uh, coming up in March, uh, healing, creative healing um, series. And so we are going to do a writing workshop and we're having someone in April coming and teaching us about Reiki and self-care. And these groups are specific for BIPOC folks, so black indigenous people of color Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. So we're doing a lot of different things. Yeah, and, and I um,
0: I understand that it is so important to meet people where they are culturally. Correct. You know, because we're not all the same. Right. Um, when you, you know, we were talking about the different things and um, people being vulnerable to sex trafficking. As you work with some of these folks, what what are you hearing? What are some of their stories?
1: I think there are a lot of conversations and I can understand why people are very protective of this information um, I think it's hard to get to the point where people can trust you with issues like sex trafficking or being victims or survivors so what I I've seen people for a year that just now are opening up about some of these struggles uh, right. and sometimes or oftentimes it comes out more of a maybe in a protective way of, like, well, I decided to do this versus I was, you know, forced into this, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that makes sense, right, to try to gain back some of that power um, that sometimes traffickers take right, just by virtue of who they are. So we don't just work with sex trafficking uh, victims or survivors. We work with the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. And by default, we know that we are serving people who have um, been victimized in this way or who have survived. Right. Uh, and you may be working with many more than you know because
0: it takes a while to disclose or there's that trust factor. They, got, they have to be comfortable enough to, to say this.
1: Yes, and I think that... It's a it's a very traumatic event. Absolutely. And it will take a lot of time, uh, to to build that trust. Right. I, I I don't expect people to walk in and, and you know, right, here it tell is. me yeah. all of, of, of the things yeah. that are happening yeah. or all their secrets because yeah. I also understand that they don't necessarily know me and they don't know I, I can tell them, <laughs> you can trust me, but it doesn't it doesn't work that way, right? Yeah trust uh, is one of those things that we have to earn by being there, by asking questions, but allowing people to disclose that information as they feel comfortable, mm-hmm. right? Because if we're trying to pry that kind of information, I feel like more folks will just. Close yeah, the, the wall goes and up. Like, no, yeah. I will never talk yeah. about this. Yeah, um, so it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of patience and practice.
0: When it does come out, right? Do you have the, the resources, the wherewithal to help them?
1: No, not necessarily. <laughs> that's. I think that's that's part of the problem. We have um, high rates of homelessness, mm-hmm. but we know that not every homeless shelter can be safe. Right, so sometimes what our work looks like is training those folks who are doing the work of menning or working in shelters, right, so they know best practices, right. so they know how to be inclusive, so they know how to be respectful
0: speaking of that, sure, uh, you know you have the people we have several shelter- shelters we need it's more, of correct. course, but we have several. Are they reaching out to you saying, you know, we don't know how to deal with this. We need your help counseling in how
1: to better serve Mm -hmm. some of these folks that are coming in. Yes, we do have some shelters that reach out to us uh, looking for trainings. Mm -hmm. Um, We just uh, made a partnership with Sojourner Family Services, and they've been very open and they are – Uh, kind of on the forefront of of getting themselves trained and having those hard conversations of how do we serve better uh, the LGBTQ community.
0: Right. Do we have shelters that would absolutely say, nope, you can't come, Um,
1: you may be homeless, you may be in big need,
0: but no?
1: I don't know that they're necessarily us outspoken about it. Mm -hmm. But then what happens is that policies are not being followed the way they should or workers are not being trained properly. Mm -hmm. So they end up alienating folks because they're not, they don't have the skills, right, to not misgender someone walking through the door or not making someone, um, maybe trying to house them in the wrong uh, facility with the wrong gender, Mm -hmm. right? So if a trans woman walks in and they, refuse to see them as who they are as a woman and they want to house them with men, then that's going to create a problem, right? You're going to put this vulnerable person in a position where they can get assaulted. So that type of situation happens. And then as a trans woman, why would you go back to that place, right? Why would you re-victimize yourself in seeking help even though they may be the only ones who have an open space. Right. Well, it's not safe.
0: Okay, let me speak out of ignorance. Sure. Okay, and you can help me with this. Say you have a person who, you know, I go either way. I ebb and flow. I need a shelter. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I stay in this one that's Mm -hmm. marked women. Sometimes I stay in this that's marked men. Mm -hmm. Is that
1: a reality or does that seldom happen? I don't think that is. I think that is quote-unquote, a fear, mm-hmm. uh, but I, it doesn't really happen that often. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people or, who identify as genderqueer or non-conforming, which means I don't want to um, be classified as male or female. I'm somewhere else <laughs> in the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not saying it doesn't happen in May, but I don't think it happens That often, and I think what happens more often is that trans folks have to figure out which space is actually safe for them, right? So if the chances of me as a trans man getting assaulted in a men's restroom is high, then I may choose to go to the women's restroom, Not because I identify as a woman, but because I won't get assaulted or the chances of that happening are less than if I go to the men's restroom. So I I, I think that the conversation really needs to be how do we make the space safe for the people who need it, right? So it's not about trans folks having to pick and choose how they have to identify on a form Mm -hmm. so that they can be safe but that the spaces themselves are safe for who they're supposed to be, right? So if a trans man walks into a shelter, that we know that this person may be vulnerable and that we, may be, we, we have to be ready, right, to respond if they're not safe. And how, what does that look like for us as an institution?
0: So that is kind of what you're counseling some of the shelters on, right? Right, correct. Yeah. What do we need as a community? Obviously we need more housing. Yes. We need more awareness. Right. What 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 are we missing and, and how are we on that scale? How is the community doing?
1: I think it's so it's it's a tricky question, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think that we as a society hopefully we're moving forward in in expanding services and the the folks that we see as needing help. But I also think that there's some institutions that just don't allow for for change to happen. Um, so I think it, it just gets tricky. So the, the community has very specific needs and I feel like oftentimes we're made to feel like well yeah but you're not the majority so we shouldn't have to worry about you uh, versus oh yeah you do exist let's make sure that you're included in this conversation. Um, so it gets tricky. I don't think a lot of services necessarily understand that. Not in um in a way that it comes across to the community as being a safe space. So it, it can be it can be hard finding safe spaces for folks. And and I think that it kind of goes across every aspect of our lives. Like it's hard to make sure that We're safe at home and schools and then the public. So everywhere we go, sometimes we can be made feel as maybe this is not the safest space for me to be out. If someone who is, um, you know, trans or
0: bi or gay or Mm -hmm. whatever, um, and they have been a victim of sex trafficking Mm -hmm. or they are now, what would your advice be for them?
1: So I think... In our capacity, what we do is figure out what is their most immediate need, right? Is it housing? Is it finding a job? Is it just counseling, mm-hmm. right? Because some folks are not necessarily in need of the first two. Yeah. Uh, so we do provide some emergency services, like food and clothing, right? We can, depending on situations, we can uh, f- help people find you know, a hotel room, but... Our resources are limited, right. right? So we can put up people for a night, maybe two, depending on the situation. But long term, that looks very different. And that looks more like finding resources for them that will do more of case management. And maybe we'll provide the counseling. And maybe we'll provide bus tickets. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. So, So I think it looks more like going back into the community and finding those resources to figure out what is it that they need. Are
0: you uh, finding that the resources are there when you when you go out to get them for, or I think be that, that liaison between that client
1: and the resource? I think they're limited, but I also think that we're doing a lot of work, of footwork, of finding places that are willing to work with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... It's a work in progress. It's yeah. nowhere near where we need it to be. But I think we're, we're making good progress in, in finding people and places who are supportive and who maybe have different resources than we do. And maybe we trade, right, what is it that they need? If, if it's training, then that's what we'll provide. And a lot of our services are free, so trainings are free. We just need to figure out a time that works for both of us and then we can, we can make it happen.
0: Very good. So, and we were talking about one of the biggest problems that, that leads to some of the, the uh, tragic things that happen, the homelessness. Right. You know, running away, whether it's running away or being kicked out mm-hmm. um, and needing that housing. But when we talk about that, are we talking, I, I'm thinking numbers, are we talking about hundreds? Do you know? Do we know how vast that the problem is?
1: No. I, I don't think there's any specific tracking mm-hmm. that we do um in respects to that. I don't necessarily think that a lot of uh places that collect information ask about sexuality or gender. So it would be really hard. I think the majority of the of the statistics is that sixty percent of homelessness or homeless folks. So whatever the number of homeless people right. in the US is, then 46 to...
0: Well, that percentage is percent. big.
1: Right. It's right. very big. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah, so the work you do is really important in connecting to these folks. Huh?
1: I think the center does a, um, a lot of work in, in trying to reach people where they are and in trying to find the resources that they need.
0: Okay. The, the important thing is for them to know that they're not alone. Right. That there are places and people who want to help and who are willing to help,
1: right? Right, absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's been
0: nice to meet you because we haven't met before, so I'm glad you came in. Um, We've been talking with Sandra Zapata. Yes, I love the way you say it. (laughs) I can't say it as well as you, but I love the way you say it. She um, is Counseling and Advocacy Coordinator with Milwaukee LGBTQ Community Center. Thank you again for enlightening us and giving us uh, some really good information. Well, I hope you got a lot of good information on this and I'm sure you did. And I really, really want to say thank you for joining us for this podcast and I invite you to look at some of the previous podcasts because, like I said, we've covered wow so many topics dealing with sex trafficking. A little bit about the 411 Live. We are a nonprofit organization, so if you would like to help us out, feel free to do that. Just go to our website, um, and you can find us those previous uh, podcasts that I mentioned. You can find us on iHeart uh, Radio Podcasts. We're on YouTube, of course, you know, Twitter, Facebook, all the common places. We're there. And we also want to invite you to always get in contact with us. Let us know. Give us your comments, your suggestions about future topics, because we may take you up on that. And until next time, this is the 411 Live. Real people, real talk. I'm Beverly Taylor.